Hello everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in the series we're doing called Developing a Disciple's Heart. We, uh, we're looking at um, various sections of scripture together to uh, really settle us in who Jesus is and what that looks like and what a life in him looks like and how important that is um, for all of us to uh, pursue with all that we are. Jesus was asked what's the most important thing one time and his response was love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And we have said throughout this series that really what that looks like is, is being a people who uh, are thankful, which reminds us of the amazing love that God has for us, of encouraging others, which helps us to love others well, and of loving ourselves by doing the next right thing. But this is how that all sort of works and fits together. And uh, in, in pursuit of that, um, because we don't always make that every day, we're, we're trying to give you some tools, some ideas, spiritual discipline, if you would, to help get better connected um, each and every day. And so we've been examining some um, parts of Scripture together, some passages of Scripture, to help us sort of get better focused, to get more thankful, to get better connected. And now we're talking about getting dressed, and, and we're talking about the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 12 through 18, and what that looks like in our lives. And so we're going to continue to dig in. We've, we've been uh, talking about standing up to evil in this thing, that, that the armor allows us to stand, that we're in a real spiritual battle that's taking place around us. It's part of um, what this looks like. And I've said in this, in this section of scripture, we're sort of transitioning out of the early time that we get to spend with God, just kind of hanging out in the most holy place and, and being with him and getting really uh, connected and focused to him. And, and now he's preparing us to move out into the day, which is where we get life, which is where, you know, we, we need to be. We, we need to be out uh, among the culture, uh, telling people about the love of God and mostly telling them by our example more than our words. And, and so uh, uh, the spiritual armor that we're talking about, the armor of God, prepares us and equips us to do just that. And so we're, we're, uh, we've talked about the necessity of it and how real the battle is. And today we're going to start digging into um, some ideas about what it equips us to do and how it equips us in the process. And, and that really you engage in spiritual battle. I think sometimes when we use the term spiritual battle, that it conjures up the, um, this idea uh, of some, some sort of mystical uh, uh, thing with uh, demons and all sorts of other things. And, and while the, the scripture is indeed true, it says our battle's not against flesh and blood. That's true. Um, it's against powers and principalities and, and the authorities and all those things. But the reality is the way that we wage this battle um, is by loving people well by encouraging people, by being thankful, that, that these are, are what this spiritual battle looks like uh, in, a, in a very real way, in a very real world. In, in the natural, that's what that looks like, is us uh, moving out there and living this life well for God and loving other people well. And as we do, we introduce light into the darkness, which is how the battle is won um, and, and how we, we make ground in, in the world around us is we introduce the light by living in him and through him and with him. So I want to dig in that today. Uh, I saw this little story though and I, I thought well maybe this would, this would uh, sort of break things up a little bit. It's about these three guys that are out golfing and uh, they've been golfing for years and years and years together. 
And so they're, they're, they're quite uh, up there in age now. And all of them are having a little difficulty uh, with hearing. And so one guy says to the other, windy, isn't it? No, the second man replied, it's Thursday. And the third man chimed in, so am I. Let's go get something to drink. The only reason I think that's funny, because I know it's not, is because I, I think that's what my life is becoming. Because I'm pretty sure I'm catching about half of what people are saying anymore. And I'm responding to them thinking they've said one thing when they've said another. And they don't really know what to, what to do with me after that. Because I, they've said something like, it's windy. And I said, no, it's not. It's Thursday. And they're just looking at me and not sure what to do next. So I don't know if you can uh, have any experience with, with that. But uh, if you haven't yet, get, <laughs> get ready. It's coming. <laughs> what? Our scripture reading for today is out of Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Uh, you know this well because it's kind of the basis for this entire series. This is out of the message paraphrase. Teacher, which commands in God's law is the most important? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and the prophets hangs from them. Blessed be the word of the Lord. And so as we, as we walk through this next chunk of scripture in Ephesians 6, 14, I kind of want you to have that in mind again. Um, the basis of all the stuff that we're talking about. Loving God and loving others in the process. And so... Uh, Ephesians 6.14 is what we're going to look into today, and it says this, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The, the main focus of this verse today is truth and righteousness, and, and I believe that those two terms um, can be reflected, and this is the first point in your, in your notes, in integrity. Um, that that the, the belt of truth... And the breastplate of righteousness, to me, are all about us becoming a people of integrity and that this is a huge part of the spiritual battle that we face because we're going to have a lot of opportunities in our lives to not have integrity. And, uh, and it's going to be a constant thing as part of these decisions that we're making all the time and it's what we need to look into. And so when I'm talking about spiritual battle, this is a component, that it's a spiritual battle to be people of integrity in the world around us and that that this is uh, that we have lots of things that are coming against us to try and keep us from having integrity and yet we need to have it in our life integrity um, the best the way that I understand integrity it's it's about having your inside match your outside um, it's living what you believe it's not pretending it's not wearing masks it's, it's actually being truthful and honest about your faults and your flaws. Uh, it's not about pretending to be something that you're not. Uh, it's about an honest appraisal of who you really are. Uh, and so uh, it's where, to me, integrity is where truth and righteousness intersect in our own lives. And as disciples of Jesus, integrity is, is a very important character trait that needs to be evident in our lives. 
it needs to be something that when people who um, deal with us, both believers and non-believers, they need to know that we're people of integrity, that we're trying to be people of integrity. We're not trying to be phonies. We're not trying to act one way and live another. We're, we're honestly trying to live this thing out the best that we can. And we're trying to um, uh, live what we say we believe. And, and we're doing you know, the best we can with it, but we're messing up from time to time and being honest about that as well. Very important that, that we get uh, how important it is to be truthful in, in the world around us and not to be pretend or, or wear masks uh, acting like we've, we've arrived in areas when we haven't. Now, uh, in, in the past here, we've talked about a guy named Barnabas from time to time. Uh, we spent week after week after week, about a year ago, maybe a little longer now, uh, talking about the ministry of encouragement and talking about Barnabas, who was known as the son of encouragement. And he's known throughout the scripture as a person of great integrity. Uh, it was evidenced in his life and his ministry. Uh, and it, it had to do with him being called the son of encouragement. It was this whole, uh, the way that he uh, carried himself in the world that he lived in and in the church in particular. And... Um, his integrity was what allowed him to stand alongside the Apostle Paul at a very important time in the church's life and in the Apostle Paul's life. Um, and uh, you, you may not remember the situation, but when, when the Apostle Paul was first converted, the church, uh, the established church was afraid of him because if you remember, he was a Pharisee whose, whose mission prior to coming to know Christ was to drag off and have killed the people that were in the church. He hated the church, and he wanted it eradicated. And he'd taken that on as his mission in life. As a very zealous Pharisee, he was going out and almost single-handedly trying to rip the church apart. He got letters of permission to go to town to town and to have the Christians arrested and, and worse, uh, you know, beaten, put to death, all sorts of things. That was his mission. Paul is uh, um, encountered by Jesus on the road who appears to him on the Damascus road. And uh, Paul, you know, falls down. He goes blind for a little while. Jesus speaks to him, gives him his ministry um, ultimately sends someone to pray for him, his sight's restored, and Paul becomes, you know, the Apostle Paul, the great advocate of the church, the, the, the first, you know, major missionary of the church, taking the gospel throughout the known world at the time, planting churches everywhere he went. But because of Paul's reputation, the established church was initially afraid of him and very wary about who he was. Maybe it was just a big act, and so he, he wasn't making any headway. Barnabas, however, believed in him. And, and could see that the Lord was in him uh, and was working through him. And so it's Barnabas who takes him and stands with him in front of the church. And, and in so doing then, the people in the established church are able to look past Paul's problems, if you will, and, and they're able to see what God actually wants to do with him. Let me read you the story in Acts 9, 27 and 28. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told him how Saul on his journey, Saul's Paul, had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. This was, uh, uh, so the apostle Paul spent time in Jerusalem with the church after he'd been accepted by the apostles, but he was only accepted because Barnabas, a person of integrity, had come along and stood beside Paul, which allowed the early church to see uh, who he was and then receive him because of that. So um, in a lot of ways, coming alongside 
and standing with someone is a significant part of being a disciple of Jesus. It's, it's uh, being able to see what God is doing in people, and we'll talk about that, and then, and then standing with them um, and helping them to um, walk the walk that God has called them to. So uh, it takes integrity. It takes integrity to deal with the second part of this thing, which is a big deal, which is our tendency towards being self-righteous. We have a tendency to be self-righteous. Um, you come by it by your nature, your sin nature, um, and we, we come to it through the church, historic, uh, has a tendency to be self-righteous. We, it's always been a tendency of the established religious community of the day to think they have things figured out and uh, to begin to get proud in their own way of doing things, to think that everybody else doesn't have a clue and to build themselves up in their own eyes. And as they do that, they become um, virtually useless in the world around us because they, they lose sight of the mission. This is what happened with the Pharisees at the time of Jesus. They'd become all about rules and there was no connection with God anymore. They'd lost it. Uh, and, um, and so when Jesus came, he was undoing everything that they'd done. He was flipping it upside down and giving that early mission to the church, saying, look, it's not about that. It's about relationship with God. It's about loving God and loving others. That's what Jesus is saying. What's the most important thing? What's the most important rule? And he's saying, no, it's about loving God and loving others well. And, and so he's introducing this whole new concept. And now what we have to be aware of all the time is that we don't move right back into self-righteousness ourselves. Having come to know the, the freedom that we have in Christ, that we don't start becoming judgmental and critical and move right back into Phariseeism. Mark two sixteen and 17. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw Jesus eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so a lack of integrity will cause us to become self-righteous and judgmental and not care about people, which was the hallmark of the Pharisees. And the, hall, the church has to be so careful in the process. Uh, I've been reading recently uh, a fun little book called The Rule by St. Uh, Benedictine. St. Benedictine? St. Benedict. And uh, uh, he wrote this fascinating book in the 6th century. And it's really a pretty good little read. It's very interesting. But uh, as you read through it, his whole thing is about these rules he establishes for monks and, and how they're going to connect with God. And at one point, he's got, he's got 73 rules listed for him, which is better than the Pharisees who had, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And they're kind of funny when you look back at them. And uh, one of my favorite rules is that St. Benedict was the abbot uh, of this monastery uh, and pretty much what it says is um, just do whatever the abbot says <laughs> when in doubt do what the abbot says not doing what the abbot says is going to get you in a whole bunch of trouble but he lays out for them an order a rule the hope in seeing this always the same thing the hope being that if you put enough rules on people they won't stray into things that they shouldn't and they're going to walk a better life with Jesus the problem is when you, when you make it all about rules, and I, and I like, actually, a lot of the stuff that's in that monastery is pretty cool, but, but 
all of a sudden they can begin to get self-righteous because they're following the rules and it becomes less about their relationship with God and more about following the rules and that's what we have to be careful of. that's the trap that's the thing that'll get us because we'll be looking like we're following all the rules and then you start sneaking around doing stuff you shouldn't instead of being honest and real and you get self-righteous and well I follow all the rules uh, and uh, and so it, it makes us look differently at people around us and we have to be very very careful in the process so what do we do little point a under number two we have to know as people of integrity that we're all broken we're all broken every single one of us is broken until we come to grips with our own brokenness we'll never come and stand alongside the broken we'll we'll never be able to stand against evil and stand alongside the broken Uh, integrity allows us to admit our own mess Um, we're born broken from our earliest stages in life our main concerns are pleasure and avoiding pain Uh, and we live in a fallen world sin abounds and all of us have sinned in the pursuit of pleasure and pain-free living I've expanded on that in lots of different messages um, and but it's a reality that's a reality that we deal with even when we come to Christ it's a reality and you can't you can't legislate that stuff out of your life the only way that you begin to make progress in those things where your inside and your outside match is that you keep getting closer to Jesus and, and by the power of the Spirit, he begins to help you no longer pursue things that there's no life in. And you begin to realize it over time. So we're all broken. The second thing, and I've introduced this to you several times, I, I keep like bringing it back up because I, I hear it in lots of ways reflected in the way that we look at life all the time so we need to get back to it and that's a little thing that I like to call the sin scale the sin scale that's point B I've told you this before it's a Steveism. if you look in the Bible for sin scale you're not going to find it um, it's it's one of my little things um, and and what the sin scale is uh, to me it's a picture of something that was invented by the self-righteous and it's a scale that arbitrarily determines how bad sin is just based on what we think about uh, we think some sins are little sins and some sig- sins are big sins that's been and it's been uh, it gets reinforced all the time that all well, the little sins don't matter it's the great big sins and yet who gets to determine which is a little sin and which is a big sin because it's all sin see that's the problem and when you look in the Bible you find uh, like a little sin what I think we call a little sin is gossip is actually spoken more about than the big sins that we go those are the big sins uh, and, and yet we don't really believe it because most people engage in gossip and if we really thought it was a big deal we wouldn't do it or we'd you know start trying to get some help with it but see we it doesn't pop on the scale very big to us but it's apparently a big deal to God and see the problem with gossip you go well, why is such a gossip gossip destroys families gossip destroys churches gossip destroys communities gossip destroys people's lives and careers gossip is a huge sin but we've gone oh it's nothing and and we stop worrying about it but we need to see because people of integrity shouldn't do it I, I really try not to talk about people that aren't present I know I try and steal the con- I just try and steer those conversations into something else sometimes if it keeps going I'll, I'll actually say okay I'm just not comfortable talking about it they're not here I somehow trying to stop it um, the process but there's something very seductive about gossip we've talked about that draws us in in illegitimate ways and it's an illegitimate bonding with the people that are talking about somebody else I mean, probably the best way to get fixed to that is have the person you're talking about be behind you and you don't know it <laughs> I don't know if you've ever experienced that but it'll make you stop for a long time or at least look around really good okay wait a minute I want to talk about someone hang on okay we're good 
Sin is sin. Self-righteousness, last little point there under C, always has this little hint of hate with it. Um, sometimes it's a big flavor of hate, but there's always a little bit of hate in, righteous, in, in self-righteousness. Um, and it's, it's masked a lot of times. I, I, and I know, I think we've probably talked about this before. There's a saying goes around, and, and I've used it, maybe you've used it before, and I'm not picking on anybody that uses it. I just, I just want you to examine the saying when we're talking about this. And, and the saying is, we're supposed to hate the sin, but love the sinner. And at some level, I get that, and it makes sense to me because part of it's true. The problem is, if you're relating to someone with that in your mind, I promise you they're not feeling loved. You're just not, because you've labeled their sin to the point that's all you're really dealing with, and, and they, they, can exp- they, they feel it. They get it. They, they can tell that you're treating them differently, and, and that's not what's supposed to happen. When, when Jesus was called out by the self-righteous for hanging out with the, the sinners and the tax collectors, don't you like that every, every generation has their own worse than sinners? They're sinners, and then at the time it was tax collectors. So they were, they were worse than sinners. They, the tax collectors were, were not allowed in the synagogues. They weren't allowed in people's homes for dinner. They weren't allowed anywhere. They were completely cut off. Uh, sinners could kind of come and go into a different section, but tax collectors couldn't. Every generation has their labeled sin that's worse than any other sin and, and use them as sinners and, and whatever. So uh, um, this, this whole process, um, you know, if you, if you treat people labeled like that, you're ultimately saying, I'm just better than you. And they can they just write right away know that you're you're not sincere, and it keeps us from being people of integrity and having any impact. So what do we do? How do we relate to the broken? Fortunately, we can be able to get some of this because we're broken ourselves as long as we admit it, and uh, and that's what we need to look at, which is true righteousness. Last point number three: true righteousness. Again, Matthew twenty two thirty six through forty. This in the NIV. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, uh, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So how do we do that? How do we love God, love others like ourselves? We, we're talking about that all the time. But here's just some little follow through in the spiritual battle. One of the things that true righteousness does is little letter A, always sees the beauty of people's potential. You hear that here a lot because I just think it's one of those lessons that uh, we got to have ingrained in us. I talked about it Wednesday at church. It just, it's one of those things that we have to be able to do. Rather than look at people and just label them by whatever sin you want to label them with, you've got to ask God to help you see the beauty of their potential. Because that's how God saw you and sees you. And I'm so thankful that when God looked at me before I knew him, he saw what I could become. And he can still see where I can go from here. And he never just gives up on me. And, and, and so we're not supposed to look at that people that way either. He, what Jesus did, see here's the deal. Jesus never um, condones sin, but he doesn't let it be the focus when he's dealing with people who, who don't know him yet. He just doesn't allow the sin to be the focus. He never, he never says, oh, it's no big deal. He just doesn't let it become the focus. What's the focus? Is him relating to who's ever there. That's the focus. That's what matters. And that's what he does so well and what he demonstrates so well. Um, True righteousness is grace-filled. That's a little letter B. Jesus could look at people like that and and relate to people like that because he exemplifies a grace-filled life. He, He loved people, and here's the thing, people knew it. See, Jesus loved people in such a way that they knew it. And being around Jesus 
made people want to change. Just being around him made them want to change. Just because they knew he, that this was something real. It was sincere. It was, it was real. It was love. It was, it was something they hadn't experienced before. And, and they, they just wanted more. They wanted to hang with more. What do I got to do? I'll just, whatever you, I'll, I'll stop doing whatever it was. Lord, I just want to be with you. Because he loved them so well. Um, and, and so they responded to the amazing love that he had for them. And, and uh, that love is what true righteousness looks like. That amazing love that Jesus showed him is what comes from people that are living in the righteousness of God. Point C, it's displayed in love. It's just displayed in love. It doesn't take sin lightly. It understands that people um, are, are really only healed from brokenness in the context of a loving relationship with God. Um, what that means is the only thing that really moves us away from the things that we shouldn't be doing it is, is a desire to live a life that pleases God in response to his love for us. I hope you get that. See, that's the only thing that will ever cause you to change. The only thing that brings real and lasting change is a desire to live a life that pleases God in response to his love for us. And so as we dress ourselves in truth and righteousness, it allows us to stand alongside the broken as we become a people of integrity, uh, always challenging our own Phariseeism, our own self-righteousness, and trying to love and see people the way that God does. That's how we engage in the battle with truth and righteousness. We become people of integrity who love on people the way that Jesus showed us how to. And so we'll, we'll, we'll stop there for this week. We'll pick up verse uh, 15 and 16, I believe, next week. If you're watching my video on television, thank you so much for watching and being a part. If you, uh, if you need anything, you need prayer or anything, you can uh, write us or email us and we'll do whatever we can to help you in that process. Thank you for your valuable time that you spent with us and we look forward to seeing you next time at uh, Vineyard Community Church.